Welcome to The Expert View. I'm Siobhan Creighton and today we're going to be talking about returning to school during the pandemic. It's been a worrying time for parents, teachers and children concerned about COVID-19. A new report from the Faculty of Paediatrics at the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland has examined the impact of the last few months on children and strongly supports the resumption of their education. Its lead author, Dr Ellen Crushell, joins me to offer practical advice for parents about the return to school for children, including those with underlying conditions and the impact on children's health services. My name is Ellen Crushell. I'm the Dean of the Faculty of Paediatrics at the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland. I'm also the uh, HSE Clinical Lead for the National Clinical Programme for Paediatrics and Neonatology. And I work as a paediatrician at Temple Street. So Ellen, your report strongly favours children going back to school because you believe the benefits far outweigh any risk even in the middle of a pandemic? Yes, and this is the message that's coming out from paediatric societies, um, you know, across the world, really, um, this this knock on impacts to any given child of not attending school are, are a lot higher. So we're really recommending that uh, all children go back to school. There are a very small number of children with a very specific uh, uh, immune problems, for example, have just had a transplant um, or on, are undergoing chemotherapy that would not normally be in school anyway um, while they're undergoing those types of treatments. Those children would be staying at home, but otherwise, pretty much, um, we think that the the risk to other to all other children is quite low and, and it's in their benefit. The risk, the benefit of attending school outweighs the risk. I see you are also recommending an extension to the school year. Well, I suppose that that's not for us to say, but I guess we would be worried about, about you know, education losses that may have happened during that time that they were off school. And while some children, you know, will have had a parent there keeping going with the homework and keeping all the education going, there'll be a certain number of children who won't have had that uh, kind of support and certainly will need some extra work. And, and how that happens, I suppose, is up to the Department of Education. School is such a big part of children's lives. Uh, not having been to school for the last six months is a very long time. It's a huge vacuum in their lives and I suppose um, one piece that, that psychologists are think of that we don't necessarily think of when we think of children attending school is that school is children's occupation if you like and gives them a sense of agency and that's very important for their kind of ongoing development and and you know they've been deprived of that sense of education for the last number of months um, and that can have you know knock-on effects on, on their mental health and well-being. Everybody's anxious about going back to school, parents, children, the teachers, but what are the risks for children around COVID now? The the risks of COVID to children are very low and that's, that's coming out time and time again in the various papers. And I suppose we didn't know that in fairness at the beginning and closing the schools was a, a, you know, an appropriate measure in the context of locking down and, and, and would be very appropriate response, for example, for other respiratory viruses such as the flu. But I suppose what we know now is that the risk to any given child is very, very low. And interestingly, that also includes children who have uh, medical medical conditions. The evidence is suggesting that even children with cancer and cystic fibrosis aren't getting severe disease like you might expect, for example, if they were to get influenza. So the risk to a given child is very low. There was some illness, though, wasn't there? Um, a Kawasaki-like syndrome that some children developed? Yeah, there is. So um, now they are rare. There have been a, a handful in Ireland. Thankfully, all have recovered. So these are children who are otherwise well. So they're not they don't fall into a group of children, for example, who already have a problem, for example, like cystic fibrosis or 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 have had treatment for cancer. These are children who are otherwise well. So it's not 
predictable as to who will get it. And it seems to be related to a kind of a delayed immune response. Um, and they kind of get an overwhelming immune response a few weeks after COVID infections. Now, the the exact the exact etiology hasn't been worked out yet and the exact relationship to COVID hasn't been worked out. But certainly th- there has been a, 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 an incidence of this Kawasaki-like syndrome that would be over and above what's normally seen. And these children can can be quite sick. They they will need admission to hospital uh, and some a lot of them have needed intensive care. Um, and they need a very specific treatment that would be delivered at the paediatric hospitals. And thankfully, most have recovered. And I think that's been the international experience. But I think the public messaging around it maybe served to to scare parents, but it really is quite rare. And, and I suppose we have to bear that in mind when looking at the overall picture of COVID in children, which, which is otherwise reassuring. Um, obviously, the, the risk to adults and the elderly are much higher. And as a society, we, we, the elderly need to be protected. And But we also need to be mindful of the children and getting them back to normal uh, as much as we can. Now, the schools have, uh, the Department of Education and the schools have all been working really hard in the last few weeks to get the schools back open. And I think there's, you know, they've done some wonderful work and it's great to see the children heading back to school in the last day or two and, and the rest of them next week. So I think around the anxiety piece that you mentioned, I suppose there is that worry that um, that children having been out of school for nearly six months may be anxious. And certainly I think the, the psychiatrists and psychologists feel that there, there will be a lot of children who will need that extra bit of support around the anxiety of managing all this. And you have to remember too, in the background, Many of these children may have been kind of, you know, detected family distress over the last number of months because maybe their parents have been very stressed working from home and trying to mind them and school them at the same time. Or on the other hand, maybe their parents have lost jobs and there's financial distress. So, you know, there may be a a heightened anxiety anyway. Um, And I think, you know, the mental health services will need to be ready for that, if you like. And um, and they probably need extra resourcing for all of that because they, they anticipate that they will have more requirements. There are concerns about children transmitting COVID between each other in school, but the evidence doesn't really point to that, does it? Yeah, it's very interesting because even though when a child gets COVID, they do excrete the virus in the, in in their nasal secretions just like an adult does, but they don't seem to transmit it as freely as an adult. Now, maybe it's because they don't get as symptomatic as an adult, but um, yeah, the evidence and and that's that's a key piece of information that hasn't been very tightly defined yet, but the evidence coming out from lots of places now are that schools aren't a major source of outbreaks. And uh, so we've seen that from our Danish colleagues and and even in Sweden as well. So, and in fact, there was an Irish study which looked at um, over a thousand contacts of three children and, and there were school, school contacts and none of them, uh, there was no evidence of transmission from those three cases. While children can transmit it in the household, it doesn't seem to be common that they transmit uh, in the school setting. Um, and I just saw a GA report, which I thought was very interesting. They had cool camps all summer and they with 71,000 children. There was one case of COVID in a child and that didn't transmit. There was no no secondary cases from that case. So I thought that was interesting information too. So the school setting is very unlike a nursing home or a meat industry that, that where we're hearing the outbreaks at the moment. We're not seeing that type of transmission amongst children. So even though adult, they, most of the school outbreaks appear to be adult to adult primarily, and much less child to child or child to adult. There will be outbreaks though, we have to be realistic about that. How will these be managed? 
so if your child is a contact of somebody with COVID, well, then they'll be, um, they'll, you'll be contacted by public health and there will be proper procedures to be followed, including, of course, keeping the child out of school. So if your child is a contact of COVID, you, they obviously don't go to school. If your child is at school and, and becomes positive, then they need to be excluded. And what happens next depends on whether there were other cases within their grouping, if you like. Um, and public health will be, you know, they, they're giving extra resources to, to be in there and the schools managing those type of outbreaks very quickly and to close them down, you know, to close down the outbreak or contain the outbreak as quickly as possible to limit the, any further spread. So children and their families would have to go into isolation in that case, is that right? At the moment, the advice is that if a child has been tested for COVID, that the family should uh, restrict their movements until that test is through. And the test so far is quite invasive, but they're looking for a different test, aren't they, for children? Yeah, so the health service, the HSE, is investigating at the moment the introduction of salivary or nasal swabs. So at the moment, the the swab is a deep nasal or deep. You you have to swab back at the pharynx through the through the nose or the mouth. So that is that is pretty invasive, and you know children can get up to eight colds a year, um, and so you certainly wouldn't want that type of invasive swabbing eight times a year. They're currently investigating whether saliva might be a good alternative. The problem with saliva is it's hard to get a very young child to give enough saliva for it to be um, useful. The other type of swab that, that we'd be interested in investing is a nasal swab where you just swab the inside of the nose and they're investigating that as well. Um, those would be obviously um, easier than, than the current swabbing systems. And if your child has a cough or a cold, what is the advice? At the moment, if your child is well but has a, a runny nose, nothing else, they're, they're allowed to go to school. If you're unsure, if you feel that it might be the beginning of something and they might be brewing or they're, they're not quite, they're not that sick and that they don't meet the testing criteria, they don't have a fever but they're not right, you keep them home for 48 hours. If they meet any of the testing criteria, which would be a cough, fever, unusual sense of taste and smell, then they need um, to contact the GP regards getting tested. As well as an impact on their education, uh, the pandemic has had an impact on their health, hasn't it, in terms of access to the health services? Yeah, so that's a, a big problem. So I guess if you look at the, the hospitals, um, outpatients, physically seeing a patient in, out, in outpatients was was. Uh, stopped during the lockdown now we're back seeing patients in the clinics now but we can only accommodate uh we can accommodate less because of the requirement for social distancing and um, similarly for elective theater the procedures around um you know cleaning in between in between cases etc just have meant that the, the throughput is less now that has been augmented significantly for the clinics um, with the development of virtual clinics. So that that's been a great advancement. That, um, in fairness, um, in the last few months, and that will be with us to stay. Even even once we're over all of this pandemic, there's definitely a role for the virtual clinics. So um, the clinics are building back up, um, but there are significant outpatient waiting lists and community child healthcare waiting lists that almost seem insurmountable. I think there were 200,000 children on waiting lists for some form of a health appointment before the pandemic, and that can only have gotten worse. Um, our other worry would be around kind of routine child health screening. So as you know, children get um, routine uh, child health checks through the public health system and with community doctors. 
um, during the course of their childhood and those were all put on hold. The doctors and nurses were redeployed to public health, uh, contact tracing, etc. So those waiting lists have grown. Um, the other area is in the area of, for example, you know, assessments of uh, so a child is picked up with having a developmental concern. The next piece, the early intervention team piece and the assessment and autism assessments, etc. that happen in the community are they have long waiting lists and so that that the worry is that those waiting lists are going to get even worse in some areas um so yeah we would be very worried about access to health the other the other piece that that is related to the schools is this this you know routine vaccinations are mostly delivered um through schools um at the moment they're trying to deliver them through the community but that may involve bringing your child to an appointment and involve traveling to the appointment for the for, for the vaccination so the uptake is likely to be reduced and i suppose the worry then is that we'll be facing something which is more dangerous for children such as a measles epidemic in the future if if vaccinations aren't kept on top of so i suppose once the schools reopen we're very keen that all of those extra health services that are related to schools and they include vision and hearing screening as well will will happen in due course and and that you know missed appointments will be caught up so in your report you were calling for a winter plan this is essentially uh, to get the health services back up and running for children yeah Exactly. So during the lockdown, um, when the adult hospitals were under terrible pressure, um, paediatric services, some accommodation and staff uh, from the paediatric services, because because children weren't getting sick, so there weren't many COVID cases in the children's hospitals or in the children's units. So therefore, accommodation and, and, and other facilities were given over to the adult services appropriately. How, because summer is our quiet period anyway, but, you know, Temple Street and Crumlin and Tala, in fact, closed their paediatric inpatient and emergency unit and transferred lock, stock and barrel mostly to Crumlin and some to Temple Street. So those are all reopened again now and are back with the paediatric services. However, um, the worry is that, you know, if we face another crisis in terms of the adult services becoming overwhelmed, it's not so easy to do something like that in the winter when we have the respiratory viruses and the hospitals are full. We're in August now and Crumlin and Temple Street have been running at capacity in terms of inpatients for the last little while. And that's very unusual for August. So we're, you know, and that part of the reason for that is that we've had with distancing there, there, there's been a slight reduction in the number of inpatient beds. But once winter kicks off and children start com be coming in with the usual winter problems, we won't have that capacity to be able to give over services to the adult services. And I suppose we're just worried that children will be, you know, there'll be a knock on effect on children's health services that we kind of can't, um, can we? I think as a community, we just have to be so careful to keep down the community transmission as much as we can to to prevent all of these knock-on effects on obviously the adult health services and the and the very vulnerable the elderly and, and and medically vulnerable adults but also the children who are not particularly vulnerable to covid but are vulnerable to an overwhelmed medical service and parents may be scared to bring their children to hospitals or to to get their children vaccinated uh, because they're afraid of catching covid how can we address that well, I think we can just provide as much reassurance as we can that really GP surgeries, hospitals are all doing their very best to limit any onward infections. And, you know, I can kind of confirm that there haven't been, hasn't been any staff member who's tested COVID positive in quite a while in, in Temple Street anyway. So it, it's working. Um, and they, you know, so we're very mindful. There's a lot of, uh, you know, heightened um, 
awareness of, of COVID transmission. So I think parents should be reassured the risks of not bringing a child that needs medical attention are much higher than, than the risks of picking up COVID. So you're happy to see the schools reopening again? We have to remember that school is the way that children, that the state invests in our children and, and, and it's a mechanism for providing a lot more than education. There really is a, a holistic aspect to school that, that maybe we don't fully appreciate in the normal run of events. And, and I think it's, it's really important that we, you know, put schools up there as an essential service that, that for, for, the, for children because, you know, these are the frontline workers of the future and they all need their education. Um, and they need all the other aspects of schooling that, that are provided. Dr. Ellen Crushell, thank you for your expert view and thank you for listening.